You're listening to the 12th episode of Season 4 of the Wicked Podcast. I'm Mike Moore. This podcast is about songs written for, or to, or about women. Mostly it's about how hard it is for a pair of human beings to form a healthy, lasting, close connection, particularly if their emotional and social development were messed around with in their formative years. It's also about depression, words, and music. Each episode is me ruminating around a song from my album Spurned, which is an old word which means rebuffed, turned away, and rejected. You can listen to it like one watches a video of a car wreck over and over again in slow motion. Episode 12, What a Lovely Umbrella. This song was meant to be a stiff upper lip, cheerful, enthusiastic acceptance of the termination by the intended woman at the time of our attempt to forge a romantic relationship. What it was, in retrospect, was a lie. A lie to myself, mostly. You see, my view wasn't that the world was full of women, plenty of fish in the sea, that I could form a close emotional bond with, and that I needed to move on to the inevitable next one as soon as possible so as not to waste time. It was that this one had been one of those very, very rare situations, very rare opportunities, in which we'd successfully formed a very close emotional bond, despite, you know, everything and everyone. Not just a casual bond, something deep, something we both recognized, something inarguable. In fact, I certainly have never grown quite as close in quite that way with any woman since, because she'd liked me so much, or loved me so much, in a platonic way, as to think that maybe we could be a couple. But then she lost faith in the endeavor, so just friends. And just friends can mean two very different things. There's just friends that means you tried a romantic relationship or even just attempted some romantic overtures, and now she has decided that you aren't going to be friends either. This use of just friends means she wants me to go away and not come back. In my experience, dudes almost never play the let's be just friends card. Although once they've started having sex with a woman they may decide, they want to seriously pursue having sex with other women instead, they seldom tell the woman they want to stop having sex with her now and be just friends. It's more of a chick move. Your mileage may vary. Emily is frustrated that her ex-boyfriend seems to want to be friends but not have sex. She doesn't get it. It's not consistent with what she has known of men in the past. So I don't, I don't know what he's playing at. And the thing is, I did say to him, I said, you want to be my friend, why? What, what do I bring to the table for you? Like, why? But he won't tell me. He says, I can't tell you when I see you that you look pretty. I can't tell you how I feel because you will latch on to that. You'll hold on to hope of something more is going to progress. And I can't guarantee that. So my argument is, Your feelings haven't changed for me. You still find me physically attractive. You want to tell me all these compliments, but you don't want to give me hope. Of course, you're tempted to just blow the whole thing up, light it on fire and walk away. But that's not really what most people really want to do. That really is what I want to do. It's tempting. I really just want to block him. That's not nice. Oh, even Siri said that's not nice. (laughs) Um, I want to block him and pretend that he never existed and and move on and that you could do that except you do care and it might work out well i can't see any light at the end of the tunnel at the minute in fact between recording this interview with emily and my editing this together emily has gotten back with her ex you just never know what might happen i ran this situation by susan isaacs it's a bit of a trick you know you try something romantic and they're like oh, no, I don't think so. And they're like, oh, but we're going to be friends, right? Like, yeah, if we be friends, I can keep them around. And then you get to hang around and be friends and you're always waiting and hoping and then they get with other guys. I think, yeah, that's the kind of thing where, again, it goes back to women can want men around for the emotional thing, but not have to make the commitment and that it's easier. There is some sort of equivalent of like when the woman says like, you just want sex. It's like, you just want me to adore you. There is some toxicity there. I think with things like that, it's like, if it doesn't work, you know, you keep a distance. 
Megan also cites cases where the woman does enjoy the courtship behavior and attention, but says they're just friends because she has no intention of ever pursuing anything romantic or sexual with the earnest suitor, but enjoys his earnest suit. From a girl's point of view, I think that's more code for, I like the attention you give me, so I don't want to lose that. Um, however, I don't see you as someone I want to date, so I'm going to keep you around until I find the person I want. And then you're gone in the bin. I don't need that anymore. That's what that sounded like to me. And I interviewed Susan Isaacs as an, an actress in, in, in California. And she said that, I mean, we, we all know that guys keep girls around for sex, that they don't see the relationship continuing anymore. It doesn't seem to be working, but they keep them around much longer because they want to continue to have sex. And she thinks that some women do the same thing with emotional support, that they the relationship is no longer working, but they want someone to talk to. They want someone who knows their story. And uh, so they keep the person around for emotional support. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, especially like in the case of if your boyfriend has messed up in some way and then you have that person in the sidelines that cares for you and knows will give you the attention and say, oh, you don't deserve that. And then that revalidates what you're thinking of like, yeah, I don't deserve to be treated like that, but you're going to go back to your boyfriend. Mm -hmm. That's a contentious argument lately, I guess, with people uh, that the guy off to one side shouldn't assume that just because he's being supportive, he gets sex. And that's not necessarily what I think those guys are, are doing. And I don't think they just want sex. I think sometimes they legitimately want a relationship with their female friend. And that's not going to happen because yeah. the female friend just doesn't take them that seriously. No, yeah, I think it's incredibly tough because obviously, like, they, it's almost like, I don't know, sort of pulling them on a string a little bit, like, come along with us, but you're not really involved in anything. And, you know, it must be incredibly hard because the guy at some point is going to have to think, you know, I deserve better than this and walk away. But every so often they're coming back to you. So it's like you want to hold on thinking this might be the time. I then saw what Carol had to say. And so you say, okay, I'll be just friends because you're secretly hoping it'll turn around. And that never works. No, that means we're not talking again, probably. I've actually had it where there was like a little bit of an attempt at romance. And then it's like, I want to be just friends. I mean, usually it means you're not talking again, but sometimes they really, really do want to be friends. I have a problem with women who want me around to talk to me all the time. Hmm. But a number of women, like we, we broke up, they're with a different guy and they want to still talk to me all the time privately, you know? So what do you make of that? Well, I felt kind of used. And Susan Isaacs said that some guys keep girls around just for sex. And she thinks that some girls keep guys around just for emotional support. That could be because you, if you think about it, you might be providing that. Oh, I, I know. And in fact, back to that, you know, the abusive relationship thing, I realized that sometimes... What she needed to do is leave this guy because he was making her miserable. And my role in her life was to make her feel a little bit better temporarily. And that would make her be able to stay longer. Like loaning her courage or something? Yeah. Did you ever feel that, that maybe if you were talking to a woman that's in a bad relationship, she'd stay longer because she had people to confide in and then she could rest in it and stay in it? Yeah. Like, like a support or, a, you know, other, you know, a less aloneness, more support, mm -hmm. maybe just to keep a sense of sanity safety it might it might have felt like safety mm -hmm. i extensively used michael vetter as a sounding board for this whole thing like with most guys you're having sex with someone that you're friends with and then she changes her mind and says but well, we're not going to do that anymore we're going to be just friends which means no sex and the guy's like well screw this and they they probably have little to do with each other after that point what i have is the no sex and we talk and she finds that she unburdens herself and she wants to see me connect dots or help her connect dots is what you're supposed to do uh, about her life. And often what happens is when a guy comes into her life, if we had any attempt at romance and we're going to be just friends, she really wants me to continue doing my job. She wants me to continue answering the phone and talking for hours and helping her work through her thoughts and all of that to the extent that the last two with me started a romantic relationship by saying that they did not want to do that to me. They did not want to unburden themselves and pour out all their stuff. And they did anyway, because I'm interested in their people. And then when they were saying, no, we're just going to be just friends, they both were terrified that they would lose me in everything but the romantic. 
which is mm-hmm. a weird position to be in. And it's tempting to keep that going, that you try to be friends with them. And you keep answering the phone and keep listening to them. And they're with a different guy. And that's not a self-respecting thing is to hang around, you know, as Justin and not Trudeau, but just in case hanging around in case that that guy doesn't work out for them. You're kind of still there. That's pathetic. And it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Because no matter what, there's still going to be a little little spark of hope in there that, well, maybe she uh, really does. But have you ever had anything remotely like that where you were ostensibly friends and you're hoping for more? Ever felt like women were keeping you around and you had yeah, a spark I mean, of hope, but they were keeping you around. They wanted you around, but they didn't want that. Because in your uh, case, I'm, the girl went to an insane asylum and she didn't then phone you every day to talk about what was going on with her, which is what I would have got. Yeah. Yeah, no, I had no idea until somebody finally told me, somebody that knew. No, I, I've I've had on more than one occasion had women phone me because they're going to get married and they needed to talk to me about it. Even though I wasn't their guy anymore, they needed to talk to me because they felt like talking to me had some magical help that they needed that they weren't getting anywhere else. And it happened to be about marriage and somebody they were marrying. It's happened to me on several occasions. What do you do in those cases? I'm normally an idiot. I try not to hope and I try to help. So I have both. I have earnestly helped while hoping. And also I've sort of bitterly, resentfully done the right thing and tried to be helpful and, and all that. I've done that too. I got rid of one entirely. I did I did that when I was a bit younger. and I never felt good about it where she was phoning me to care. She needed someone to care. And she was phoning me all the time. And she wasn't even admitting that we had a thing because we did. And before she was pursuing it. And then now that, that seems to be a thing with me that you'll have a thing and that, and women often will avoid saying girlfriend, boyfriend, or that kind of thing. But there's something that's that you're in a different mode for a while. And then they kind of take it back and then say that it never happened. And you're supposed to never refer to it and to play along and follow all the new rules, like no flirting. Um, I had somebody, uh, when I complimented her say, I don't need you to be physically attracted to me. (laughs) Like that's negotiable. Like my physical attraction is something I choose to be attracted or not. And like, she has any say in it at all. But yeah, like the one, uh, would call and tell me what was going on with her life. Cause that was our routine, even though we were no longer an item. And when I was younger with the one who was denying that we ever had any connection, I just said, I don't care, which was mean, but I felt like I was being exploited and it wasn't stopping. I didn't know any other way to sort of get rid of her besides she was there for me to care. I just told her I didn't. And it seemed like a very guy thing to do. I've never felt right about it. I also ran this by Anson. Did you ever find yourself in a position where you were really into somebody and they decided that that you should be just friends and you held on with hope that you could get it to be romantic again, but the understanding is, oh no, we're just friends now, but you're, you're hoping the whole time? Yeah, as a young man, I did that several times. Um, and philosophically today, I'm, I'm very adamantly against it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it just really kind of for a decision yeah. and clear cut boundaries. And, and it may, it may frankly mean the end of the, the relationship, you know, as a practical matter. I interviewed someone named um, Susan Isaacs yesterday and, and her view is that some relationships is like, we're not going to have a future, but we'll just have sex. And she was saying, well, that's not good. And often that's the man's idea. And in other situations, it's like, we're not going to have a relationship, but I'm still going to bend your ear for emotional support. And that's often the woman's idea. And she's saying that she feels that's just as exploitative. I agree. Um, I mean, I hesitate to use exploitative because I feel that the latter, what women do, the emotional component is probably a little more complex or a lot more complex, okay. probably a lot more complex. I mean, there are people who would never admit this aloud, but they have a platonic friend of the opposite sex that they are physically attracted to, and yet they simultaneously have no desire to be in a romantic relationship with that person. They love that person, they respect that person, they value them, it's a coworker, or whatever. So they, if they're honest, they kind of acknowledge the, the, the biological component of it, and it's just 
and it's just it just is mm-hmm. um so if there are, are a couple of people male and female who like each other as people respect each other as people are friends and there's physical attraction there and and you know that's it's kind of a pleasant sensation right i mean if you know you got you got to choose between going to mike and angie uh for advice and you're attracted to mike well you know yeah i want to get mike to lend me his ear you know and and i'll take a mental picture of him while i'm at it you know it's just i think it's something that we really can't avoid unless we want to go back to those very rigid traditional structures like you know that tend to still exist in places like the middle east yeah where you just don't have friends of the opposite sex no because it's could look bad evan wanted to weigh in on hints why is it that I think the, the the leading example we should go with here is that women want men to respond to what, what do we call them signals hints I think hints is the yes. usual word yeah and women know men suck at hints yeah and men know men suck at hints if you listen es- to them no especially female ones yeah we're better that, at men know there's no guy out there like I understand hints like there's none no. of us are like this. Why continue with the hints? What's the answer to that question? Because what we're asking is we're saying communicating to a guy, so communicate like a guy. And that, that's a big ask for a lot of, of women. So I'm pretty at home with that when I'm dealing with women, they're going to act like women, like as natural to them anyway. I mean, not all women are female typical, but when I'm talking, like I, I know I have several female friends who are bilingual, I would say, in terms of when they talk to guys, they know how to talk to guys better than most women. And you just find, I find like a lot of lesbians are really good at talking to guys um, and you feel really at home talking to them. They don't do all the girly quote unquote things. And so you don't have to, because guys, and and I think we could, st- not you and I, but we as a human race could study this more. Like I was fascinated to hear that people have studied the variableness of vocal pitch in communicating across gender in terms of men talking to men, you and I are talking. I mean, we're on a mic and we're thinking more, we're being more uh, animated. We're more, we're teachers. And so we're talking more like we do to a room full of people and we're using actorly techniques with our voices and so on to emphasize and, and, and et cetera, than normal guys. But even so I made my whole class breakout laughing by talking about how, a lot of women, when talking routinely off mic, do what can only be described as singing to each other. <laughs> and they didn't know what I meant. So I had to say, there are sounds that guys don't make usually like, oh, hi, we don't make that sound. Russell Brand said, there are certain sounds you have to have a vagina to make. Oh, my gosh. And, and that's not true. But there's sounds. And, and it's like, there's ways that women and that they are i don't want to say manipulating so it sounds bad they are interacting with each other's emotional like their mood and stuff they're making each other feel appreciated and noticed and 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 all of that that and they're doing things with their voice and some women are tone deaf enough that they do this at men and don't notice that it doesn't get received as as well or as naturally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um we may notice that gay men do this and it works they know how to talk to women. I think gay men know how to talk to women in a way that you and I never will. A lot of them, especially like the camp or the stereotypically feminine gay men, I think are are excellent. Like they're very popular with women. A lot of times they women feel understood when talking because they're not doing the, the manly annoying crap. So that's why I think that when a man and a woman are trying to have a straight relationship, um, a lot of times what you have is the man acting like a man, even if the woman communicates as if she's communicating to a woman. And so mm-hmm. if the woman sends hints that women are supposed to get them Wouldn't get. and and you don't get them. And I, and I, I do, it's not like guys don't communicate with hints. We absolutely do, but we have our own language of it. And yeah. so if we're being gender stereotypical, so I think that like, it's the equivalent of Americans in France and they don't speak French and so they just speak English louder and think that they'll understand. So when they're hinting to men, they don't stop hinting. They just hint harder and harder and harder and say, like, why is it taking so much of a hard hint before you're getting the hint? It sounds stupid to communicate to men with female hints. It's like talking to Germans and Japanese. That's stupid. But 
they're women. Of course, they're going to act like themselves. And of course, the men are not going to be able to do the things that they're not good at doing. And so I think that's just, you got to live with it. And, and there are those rare women who we appreciate the fact that they know, and they don't even know what they're doing. When they talk to you, they abandon the upper vocal register that they normally use with women. They don't mm -hmm. bother going there because it's not going to do anything. They may find it refreshing to not need to emote so hard. When they're talking to guys, everything gets muted. And because mm -hmm. women are subtle in their hints, they are not subtle in their emotional affect when they're conversing. Guys right. are the opposite. The guys are not subtle in our hints, but our emotional affect, we can be very hard to read. Mm -hmm. Unless you're good at reading us. The question, why does it keep happening, even if it's ineffective, might be answered simply by they haven't spent a lot of time with men. If the, most of the people you deal with are women and this works for women, you know, and you don't question like, oh, you know, will, will this go work in context B? And then you go over there and it doesn't work. I mean, you know, I, I can understand why that'd be frustrating. Sent her kind of a preparatory text like, hey, are you still free this evening? And I got this uh, very short, I mean, you know, just one word response, no. <laughs> right. I was like, okay, you know, like, yeah. And and so I, I intuitively knew not to pursue it right then. I kind of waited several hours. And then I, that evening, still hadn't heard from her. So I said, is, is everything okay? And so the next morning, I got a paragraph or two, which said, things are, are pretty okay generally, but I feel like I need to focus on my life right now. There's a lot of unresolved things. And I don't have time for a relationship that is primarily telephone based. And I don't know that it's going to go anywhere serious in the foreseeable future. <laughs> you right. know? That's pretty honest. Yeah. And so it, it, it was a really bad feeling. Um, I, I took a minute to process it. And then, and, and I guess kind of what made it worse was I felt kind of a similar way. I had, I had just started a new job and it was very stressful. Um, lots of loose ends. And so I just responded and said, I totally understand. I need to focus on some of those same things. But if it's okay with you, I'd like to stay in touch. And I totally understand if you don't want that. And so I don't remember what her response was, but we've stayed in touch. You know, we don't talk every day or every week maybe once a week, you know, it might just be a, a short text or whatever. But I mean, today, interestingly enough, she's entertaining a friend from Europe that she hasn't seen in several years. And they have some special dinner that they're going to. And so, you know, she sent me the pictures of her all dolled up for this event. And her way of being dolled up is very not dressy, which I like about her, you know, I sort of intuitively knew that about her, and she's feeling self conscious about it. So our text today kind of played, I feel, several different roles. One, it was kind of affirming to her. I mean, we, we got to chat. Um, you know, she got some male attention without any commitment, <laughs> right. you know, but she's, she's truly my friend. I mean, she's someone that I can say I honestly care about. I don't know that we have a future romantically, but. Would you say know. that you're kind of providing emotional support that if she had a boyfriend, that would be his job? today definitely i don't i wouldn't say that that's my role um I, in fact when she kind of put the brakes on things if you will i i felt very tentative i, I was like okay you know mm -hmm. what's my role in her life I, I don't i'm not even sure what i want my role to be but i guess this is kind of a good thing you know and so i would say generally no that that's not really my role that i play could it devolve slash evolve into that absolutely i mean i like her very much she's She's attractive. She's smart. She, she, you know, has very similar beliefs as I do, but I am firmly of the opinion that it's really wise for really everybody to take some steps back, steps away from virtual interactions. They are necessary and they can be very, you know, they can be good, right? The other common meaning of just friends is that it is a response to people seeing how close you are and wondering if you two are screwing. And you're not. You have a very close, sibling-like relationship with a member of the opposite, or shall we say, your target sex. But you're not screwing. That's such a different use of the expression, just friends, that it's almost the opposite meaning. 
More so than with romantic attractions, casual friendships form naturally, quickly, and easily. They bear no relationship to aborted romantic endeavors. I know I've found that just working with people kind of makes many of them my friends over time, at least a bit. So much so that when you find yourself in those difficult situations in which you would normally lean on a family member or romantic partner, you find you have relationships with people from work that fill in for that to a degree. So I've had a tough time over the past few years with having bought a remote house and having the power go out for extended periods of time or the the water freezing or getting this car or that one stuck or needing to drop one of them off at a garage and needing a ride here or a ride there into town. For me, moving to a new house meant all kinds of loan tools and help from Johan with basic carpentry, snake removal from washing machines, and a whole lot of common house sense, and some plumbing lessons from Harold, a bunch of free furniture from Carolyn, as well as free rides from them, and Rick and Casey up the lane, and also from Emily's husband Brad or father Vince. My parents are old, I don't have any brothers, and my sister and I really don't have that kind of a close relationship. When you live in the middle of nowhere, people get that folks sometimes need a hand with something or a ride somewhere, especially if you're not 20 anymore and you live alone, as I said, in the middle of nowhere. I don't form friendships with just anyone, but what has even happened with this podcast is I find myself messaging on my phone all the time with various, often quite remote people, and we get to know each other pretty well over time. And there was a time, long, long ago, when if the person in question was female, winsome, and available, that I'd be all over that. All sorts of fanciful romantic notions in my head springing up. But lately, I've had to face the simple fact that I am old, not wealthy, and I live far from anyone, yet have a job that means I can't move too far from here either. And that is, often, going to make things end poorly, if one were to hope for more than just friends. It took me a long time to learn that for guys like me anyway, despite what a whole lot of people say, female friendship is normally not a path to, but quite often a retreat from, or something done instead of, romantic relationships. My deepest female friendships are such that even if there's joking and flirting, there's something almost like a sibling relationship established that blocks any of that going on. No hanky-panky, for sure. This is where, pickup culture aside, dating works better. It's simple. You meet up with someone you're not friends with at all, with the clear intention of trying them out to see if you like them, are attracted, and essentially, if you respect them as a prospective romantic partner long-term. And you do it all under the cover of lying and saying you're trying to make friends with them. Well, naked friends, maybe. Friends in the dark or candlelight or moonlight, maybe. More than friends who'll pick you up at 6.30 in the morning, lend you a circular saw, or help you move a couch or whatever. The kicker? If you need a shoulder to lean on because a romantic venture of yours has gone really wrong, if you reach out to talk about it to a friend of the sex you're normally gunning for, that friend is a friend, and they're almost certainly going to stay that way. We all know what a taboo, a faux pas it is rightly seen to be, to go on about one's ex when on a romantic date with someone else. Years ago at university, when one woman I was trying to pursue romantically tried to just casually hook up with me instead, change my religion, so to speak, without us getting to know each other at all, and she then stopped speaking to me when I kept some boundaries just barely up in the area of exploring each other physically, as she was in no emotional condition to have an actual relationship that would last longer than the term at school, to know or be known by a man at all, but was just looking for a quick ride on the D-train, a different classmate gave me an extremely ample shoulder to confide on about my calls not being returned anymore, while also hoping to hook up with me herself. That was extremely awkward, as I had no phallic intentions toward her at all. She rented Shallow Hal to watch with me, and I proved more shallow than Jack Black's character in the film, completely failing to be seduced by her. Needless to say, she never spoke to me since, either. I guess I've had many work wives and church sisters and work bros, and if you live alone, you really need that sometimes. The best people notice and remember that any number of challenges come when you live alone, not the least of which is how to drop cars off places and not need to, as I did last week, then be driven over to rent a different car with the whole thing then recurring in reverse, with you needing to drop off the rental and then be picked up and given a ride to be dropped off where your repaired vehicle is. 
For those following along, my truck ate its serpentine belt again at 7.30 in the morning on the way to work on one of those days when it was minus 25 Celsius, that's minus 13 Fahrenheit. It was the first time that I have arrived at school in a tow truck. John Poole's A1 Towing and I have now developed a long-lasting and close relationship over the past few years as one by one, each engine part that was going to go at some point went, always when I was in the middle of nowhere trying to get somewhere without being late. But I guess we're talking about women here, and not, as Ricky Gervais says, the modern kind, the ones with beards and c**ks. Just the old-fashioned kind I seem to be really good at supporting and befriending, but who have never really respected my potential as a long-term romantic partner. The ones who think that what I've done with them overqualifies me for the role of lover. The ones who often make pretty dubious choices as to who they respected more as a romantic partner than me. Yes, I've got a thinking problem, but is a drinking problem really easier to build a family around? It's very hard to know and be told that you have something really special together, something deep and meaningful in almost every way, but that that's not what she's looking for romantically. That that's a friendship as far as she's concerned. That a boyfriend is a more passionate, albeit less supportive, deeply connected sort of a person. That she's in the habit of getting romantic or sexual only with people who know her far less well than you already do. Dating you would just be weird. I have, at various points throughout my life, often annoyed everyone and drawn enormous amounts of offense and disapproval for taking people who claim authority over me at their word and actually doing what they said, rather than just saying it was such good advice and doing something else much more likely to work out well for me. Mostly I've done this in jobs, just like I did with my father and my church as a kid. No better way to demonstrate just how unworkable any rules that they just put this rules-born and rules-raised boy under than by following them completely, and us all seeing the chaos that ensues when you do's. One of those things was that I was taught to get to know a girl first, to be friends with a girl first, rather than start out by having sex with her, to try to know who I was dealing with before finding myself connected groinally with someone who was still more or less a stranger here is what many would consider my bad attitude about women all in one go. How I once worded my findings as to this recommended approach was, most women are, in the final analysis, far more comfortable showing you their tits than their traumas. But once you've seen the latter, you're never seeing the former. So a whole lot of women have shared with me what they find challenging about being an adult human being, especially given the life they've led up to this point. And I'm always interested in that stuff. Some women have been pretty upfront about their end of this, too. It's the woman who is supposed to be the wise one, the one who is good with feelings. Don't I know this? Haven't I watched sitcoms, seen The Simpsons and Family Guy? So why am I good with feelings? A friend like me, I'm told by women, knows right well, better than most men in fact, that they're often a mess, so they show up in our lives when they need to be accepted like that and not judged. Because a guy like me feels like home. Safe, warm, familiar, fatherly even. Someone a girl can trust not to make moves on her. Just try it. You'll be told to f*** right off, and they'll continue right on talking about how badly some guy who isn't you is mistreating them. Shut up, shut up, shut up. No, listen to me, and I'll tell you. Harold certainly has experienced, all too often, women who want a very close emotional relationship with him, but see that as somehow invalidating Harold as a romantic or sexual partner. Oh, Harold, you're so nice. I wish I could find a man like you. I heard that so much growing up. You date guys that are nothing like you. Yes. Users and boozers. And, I mean, I cleaned up my life, and I, I, you know, I, I love music, and I love this, and I went places. I love to dance. I know that's a bad thing. Um, but, you know, like, and all these girls I grew up with, some of which I just thought were just amazing. Why can't I get somebody that's more like you? And you want to slap them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the right way to put it or say it, but you do. Like, mm-hmm. what do I look like? Um, but, again... Uh, what's Garth Brooks say? Thank God for unanswered prayers. I just know I got friends in low Some, No, he's got a song that says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Cool. Good song. And it's true because I see a lot of them and, you know, I wouldn't have been happy with them. I can't tell you how many women have told me that I reassure them and make them feel safe 
and from what a lot of women are putting out there, safe simply doesn't go with sex. The two concepts are antithetical. The key is to be casual, but also excitingly unsafe in some hard-to-define way. Traditional roles are men continually trying for sex from almost all women in the vicinity, and the women in the vicinity rejecting almost all of us almost all of the time. In a few decades, a rejection trauma changes you. It just does. But women have told me this, that a boyfriend was someone you painted your best face on for, who you try to hide your deepest, darkest secrets and problems from, someone who never saw you without your makeup, certainly not someone who tried to help you fix you, because not only did you never let him see you without your makeup, nor farted in front of him, but you did your best to come off as totally fine in every way, completely emotionally stable, and he made you feel, in turn, like you were perfect just the way you were. An exotic trip to an undiscovered country by a guy with his explorer's boots on, a guy who's expecting to find you're beautiful inside and out once he'd been thoroughly inside you and seen the outside as well. Louise Perry is smart. She writes that just as women have a box for men who they have labeled for everything but not sex, a box those men are never coming out of, she says men have a box for women labeled for nothing but sex. Women are never coming out of that box either, she thinks. I guess men and women alike use each other for what they've decided they're good for. From where I sit, a lot of it looks pretty stupid. Keeps the lawyers busy, though. Maybe I should have been one. Susan makes the interesting connection between women keeping guys around for the emotional support and men keeping women around for sex. If there's any equivalency there, although I've never laid a finger or any other part of my anatomy on a married woman, I just might be a world-class serial adulterer in this very specific emotional way. Because a whole lot of married women have gotten in private with me and asked me to check out their childhood and relationship traumas. And I'm told I give very good ears. In the middle of a miserable one of these, I just said to a friend, is it possible that when Van Gogh cut his ear off and gave it to his girlfriend, he was being sarcastic? <laughs> this like, is all like, you want of me. Right. My ear. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Well, because that's what I felt in that moment. Um, you talked my ear off. Yeah, that too. Because women know a lot of things. And with me, apparently they know that if they tell me their stuff, I'm going to get it and I'm not going to judge them or gossip. It's not even going to freak me out. My face and voice aren't going to change at all, no matter what they tell me. I could tell you tales, and I will not. A whole lot of tales. Unless it's directly related to dealing with me and features in a song, I'm not going to tread that path with the episodes of this podcast. Let's look in the Wicked Mailbag. Steph is on the same page as me about telling someone you're cool with being just friends because you can't bear to lose them and says, yeah, yeah that, that doesn't, doesn't go well, well. Because, because eventually they find someone and the heartbreak you tried to push away by holding on to hope things would change crashes down on you. One out of ten stars. Do not recommend. Preaching to the choir with me here, Steph. AJ, who I used to practice sword with and who once loaned me a chainmail shirt to fight in, has a very different view and a very different experience and says about guys she wanted to remain just friends with instead of continuing a sexual relationship with, two of them attended my wedding. In both cases, I think we made better friends than lovers. As for me, I've almost never been able to feel comfortable around and maintain a casual friendship with anyone I'd hoped to marry. I've always paid close attention to what words and concepts we try to minimize by putting the word just in front of. Just, just friends. friends. Just, just the way it is. is. Just, just right. right. Just, just common, common sense. sense. Just, just true. Just fair. Just my life. life. I take friendships pretty seriously. Even in those, I'm almost always the one who gets dumped. I may not keep in touch regularly with people I'm not enjoying at the moment, but I seldom block or cut off contact with people entirely. I have, on occasion, 
and they usually have to have really gone too far with me. But friends, to me, are a really big part of what gets you through, through everything, especially when you're single and have few or no family supports. So I never just friendship. I think it's damn important. I don't recall as I've ever dumped a woman exactly. What I've done, though, is be that big ice wall from Game of Thrones to a whole lot of them. If I don't think I can see anything coming of it besides casual sex and a bunch of awkward dates and a painful breakup with no real comprehension or connecting happening, I haven't messed around. If I don't see potential, after hanging out alone for an hour or two, I don't pursue it. It's always been the other way around, I guess. If I have thought I have seen potential, they've not agreed with me about that. And I guess I have connected quickly and deeply with a huge number of women over the years with whom nothing went anywhere romantic, and mostly neither of us wanted it to. So my standards for what I think would work romantically, what would have legs, would have potential for longevity, depth, and closeness is, I think, pretty high if you stack it up against all my platonic friendships with women. With far too many women, we didn't so much have a date, formally speaking, as I befriended them almost immediately, and they confided things in me. If I had or developed hopes for romance partway through that, they cut me off at that point. I have comparatively seldomly gone on what were overtly formal dates, nothing more or less or other than that, and I have almost never chosen to go on a second one. I guess I've never seen anything that looked like it might work or last. Just two people being polite at each other's faces doesn't convince me future dates are going to be anything other than awkward and potentially painful. Imagine if there were a podcast somewhere in the dark corners of the internet that was nothing but people from my church sharing things they heard that I said, believed, thought, or did that upset them, and women who had been disappointed in their hopes that I would pursue them, but I just didn't see it working. When the woman in question, the woman this song was written for and I, started talking in brethren terms, which meant we were phoning and emailing a whole lot, this was long before texting or social media were a thing, I'd eventually cautiously referred to us as romantic. Us. We. The situation. The interaction. What was going on. It seemed to me to be two young brethren people clinging to one another, talking things out and trying to figure things out, while all of the brethren stuff we'd grown up with was falling down all around us, with everyone at meeting angrily claiming that nothing of importance had changed there at all. In the middle of this, we had each other, and increasingly, we leaned on each other. So I suggested that maybe we was a romantic thing. She was cute as hell, and I was cute as I ever got. Our conversations should have been written down and published they were so good, so maybe romantic? And this hadn't occurred to her. So I brought it up, and then it did. But she never opened up emotionally. Not really. I don't think she could. I mean, she could tell me that her life was hell and share all her dark, guilty secrets, but she could not simply want a man and admit it. She could not simply have a man appreciate her for anything other than her brethren-style service and devotion and housewifely stuff and enjoy that manly appreciation. She'd always thought it made sense for her to never get romantically involved with anyone, had never felt comfortable with guys liking or not liking how she looked. Sex, as a concept, had always been an obstacle, a problem, unwanted attention, unwanted complications, the farthest thing possible from fun. And I was asking her to give love a chance. So she thought about it. And she's very smart. She thought about her maybe being in a relationship with someone rather than, as she tended to do, be the sounding board for other people and their failed and failing relationships, the listening ear, the understanding heart, the person who helped other people with their relationship and never someone who had one of her own. I remember the both of us staying overnight at a friend's house, her getting the guest room and me getting the floor. I remember waking up in the wee hours to find her standing at my feet in the dark, looking down at me contemplatively, thinking about it. And she wasn't Ruth from the Bible. She didn't lie down with me. She drew her own conclusions. And apparently, I was weighed in the balance and found wanting. I managed to get her to open the door of her heart a crack, as it were, and she let me hang out there in the hallway just outside it for a bit. She'd never done that before, despite her age. The door being opened, the next guy after me got to move in with her and father her babies. 
the absurdist sounding end to this song that gives it and this episode its title simply meant that if she and I had grown very close, and we had, and couldn't avoid the reality that us was a real, a deep thing, but that it didn't seem to her that us was a romantic relationship, then us must be something else entirely, something we'd be mislabeling if we called it a romantic relationship. We'd made a labeling error. We'd been handed a beautiful, expensive Stradivarius violin by God and thought it was an umbrella because we hadn't correctly identified what it was God had given us or what to do with it. So, just friends. It was to be, I felt she was telling me, though the relationship, whatever it was, seemed to be intensifying. So I thought I'd hold tight and maybe even toss some reverse psychology into the lyrics of this song, Big, Big Lies. This was supposed to be a silly, cheerful, upbeat little song, stiff upper lip in the face of getting just friended. And I was thinking of overly cheerful 60s pop hits like Up, Up and Away in My Beautiful Balloon and So Happy Together by the Turtles with Me and you and you and me, no matter how they toss the dice, it had to be. The only one for me is you and you for me, so happy together. I can't see me loving nobody but you for all my life. When you're with me, baby, the skies will be blue for all my life. The lyrical reference in the song, though, is to B.B. King's The Thrill Is Gone. Because although I love B.B. King and saw him lie before he died years ago, I always kind of felt brethren superior to the notion that you needed to keep the thrill alive or it was time to check out on that person you thought you'd loved. I'm not terribly good at expressing unfelt euphoria in song, so what I sent to Evan for an emailed digital drum part was just this original recording from my old, old computer gear from many years ago. And months before Evan came over and recorded acoustic drums with me, he had emailed me back some drums for this one. And I worked to make the drums sound more live, more authentic. The bass guitar on the original track that Evan was playing to had been kind of out there, which I'd meant to do. With Evan's drums keeping time better to the click track and Evan just very professionally ignoring the wanderings of that very random electric bass, it really showed how off-tempo it really had been played. So I had to replace that and I ended up doing something much more mellow-sounding and less interesting. Then I did some shakers to taste. And there'd been a tambourine done back in the day, so I kept that. For part of the song, I put in hand claps from my 80s digital drum machine. It's a Boss Dr. Rhythm DR550 for those who are interested. Even more interesting for interested music nerds, Evan seemed to have a surplus of genuine cowbells somehow. So when he was over recording real drums last month, he left me two of those. 
Instead of using the good doctor's electronic sample of cowbell, I played, for the first time in my life, a real one. Altogether, that made this. I did both a choir of ah voices and also some close harmony voices to blend with the main vocal. How you lost your reason and lost sight of you and I We are we perish the thought that we should sully what God made All in all, one of my short, silly little songs that George calls quirky. You and I is what it's always been And what it is supposed to be There is no better thing for us Than to be you and me A lasting thing and something deep A challenge and a cross A delight and something warm A benefit, not a loss If you played I said to me, I think the thing for us to be is boyfriend, girlfriend joined at hip. I'd hop on a plane and take a trip to Fair Antarctica in the spring, to Guam or Singapore, any place away from you on a far-flung distant show. And I would tell it to the penguins while the bees so fly to pie. How you lost your reason and lost sight of you and I And we are we, perish the thought that we should sully what God made For we are more and we are not, the thrill is gone, the thrill is gone For God gives, 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 gives to us in them delights and we we unwrap a violin and we say, What a lovely umbrella. 